computer cursors, known for being arrows, famous for being lines blinking. Nobody thinks much about them, so let's have some fun. Let's find out why computer cursors are secretly incredibly fascinating. Hey there, folks. Welcome to a whole new podcast episode, a podcast all about why being alive is more interesting than people think it is. My name is Alex Schmidt, and I'm not alone because I'm joined by my wonderful co-host, Katie Golden. Katie, hello. Yes, Katie Golden. That's me. (laughs) (laughs) Suddenly, I'm only 99% sure it's you. That's fun. Uh (laughs) It is I, the one known as Katie Golden. (laughs) Hmm. Suspicious. I like it. I trust her. (laughs) Voted most trustworthy, Katie. I feel like I'm going to be on a rooftop asking you and a lookalike questions about Garfield to figure out who's the real one and who's the imposter. But that's cool. That's great. (laughs) (laughs) And we are so glad to be joined by pals of ours and returning guests. I hope folks know them from the best comedy website on the internet. It's 1-900-HOT-DOG. And, and only. And and increasingly only. Uh, and they're just wonderful all around. Please give it up for Robert Brockway and Sean Baby. Hey, guys. Hello. Hi. Hi thank you. It's great to be back. Thanks. Thanks for having us on to derail your podcast again. Yes. It's always a joy. <laughs> we mix so well with the smart kids, me and Brockway. <laughs> <laughs> you do. I feel you do. And and I'm so oh, glad thanks. you all could be on this topic too. It was suggested by Sage on our Discord. Thank you very much, Sage, because the topic is computer cursors. And uh, what's a good order? Let's start with Sean. What is your relationship to this topic or opinion of it? Computer oh, cursors. Uh, I do own a computer. Um, I've, uh, <laughs> I've used one many, good many start. years. Thanks. He's bragging much. <laughs> uh-huh, uh-huh. Um, <laughs> what is there to say? I like the way it blinks. Uh, I like... Uh, Google yeah. Docs recently added a like a little frustrating thing to the computer cursor. I like a little uh, blinking uh, underscore. Uh, and Google Docs added an inserty little vertical line that, that frustrates me. So I, I guess I'm a purist. I like a traditional... It's the kind of thing you don't notice... Until it's changed, and then you're like, okay, I hate this thing. I liked the old one. I thought I the guess. vertical line was the default. Are we oh, this is a this is a civil war, is what yeah, we're doing. I, I think, see how it is. I think that's what's happening here. <laughs> yeah. Are you guys East Coast of, versus West Coast. Do you like hand or triangle? Triangle. Ooh, triangle. Yeah, I also like the triangle, but I think it's because we had PCs growing up. I got a Mac mm. later on in life and and maybe have to grow up with it. Hmm. I like the Diablo gauntlet. That's a good one. <laughs> That's a nice choice. That's my special relationship with cursors. Like, I remember uh, probably only my generation. We all had custom cursors. That was like oh, the thing that. to do. Yeah. Like, yeah. only only people roughly in our generation did that. Because that died out just like custom ringtones are just gone. Like, yeah. you're a nerd if you have one now. I remember doing one where it had like a tracer effect. So you could move the cursor mm. around and there was a little Whoa. like... Like echo of the curso. Yeah, yeah. Echo you could tell your friends, yeah, like, yeah. this is what it's like being high. And they'd be like, whoa, because they don't know. 
<laughs> you know what's funny is I realized halfway into talking, seeing your faces, that I was talking about like the little blinking cursor where you type, and you're talking about like a mouse pointer because I always called They're that thing a right. mouse pointer. Yeah, and that's a that's a good thing. Our topic today is primarily those two things. It's both okay. the yeah. text cursor in line of text and then the mouse pointer that people do call cursors as well, like a mouse cursor. They're both I cursors. See. Well, then I'm with Katie. I, full Diablo gauntlet. Yeah, <laughs> I liked... Uh, I once changed all of the cursors to little pixelated middle fingers in my computer lab at school. And nice. the, the teacher nice. just... The teacher was looking around like there might be a warlock in the room. He was like, what the <laughs> Robert. happening? Hey, Robert. What? Robert. Nice. Good job. Nice. 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 <laughs> if I was really cool, would have been a penis. Mm. <laughs> a penis with sort of a like physics effect. <laughs> Just flopping around as you move it. Yeah, with sparkles. Sparker trailer. I feel like for certain kids, especially ones who would get into the internet, those school computer labs were like a prank speed run test or something. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. like I knew a kid who would try to put the G.I. Joe dub videos on all of the computers in a row and try to have oh, them all going at the same time. You know, yeah, the most messed with teacher, the most yes, put upon absolutely. teacher. When, and that uh, that bit where we clarified that this is really two kinds of cursors, that's kind of our first number. So let's get into the set of fascinating numbers and statistics about this topic. And that's in a segment called. One stat to rule them all. One stat to find them. One stat to math them all. And in the darkness, combine them. Yay. (laughs) Very nice. (laughs) Yeah. Great job, Katie. That name was submitted by Trevor Galvin. Thank you, Trevor. We have a new name every week. Please make them as silly and wacky and bad as possible. Submit through Discord or to sippot at gmail.com. Are we doing stat songs now? The, they're usually songs. And that one was a Lord of the Ringsy quote that I thought was funny. Okay. Because if we're doing songs, I might have something. Oh, okay. Do it. Go for it. Yeah. Katie Golden's on the move. From yeah. the stats are loose. Feel the Alex feeling more. Thunder stats are loose. Thunder, 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 thunder stats. Thunder, wow. thunder, thunder, thunder stats. <laughs> next, next time I get a negative or weird comment on one of my TikTok videos, I'm going to tell them to feel the Alex, feel it more. That's going to be my <laughs> feedback for them. <laughs> Just don't See tell that to your doctor. Well, I mean, I want a thorough exam. So, uh, you know. <laughs> Sean, that was awesome. Thank you. And uh, also, My pleasure. I don't know if I plug the podcast, The Dog Zone 9000, which is Sean and Robert's podcast and has the greatest theme music in podcasting. It's so good every time. I never skip it to this day. Yeah. That's our buddy Zach Kuntz from the Oral Knots. Yes, Zach Kuntz, Oral Knots. Really great. And first number this week, like we said, is two, because our topic is two main forms of a computer cursor. There's the blinking indicator in text or the pointer or mouse cursor that's wherever the user moves it. They're both called cursors because they broadly do the same thing. There's something that a human can look at to see what location on a screen will receive their input. Very valuable. Yeah. And the other thing is that those two kinds are not a comprehensive list of all the kinds. One key source this week is an amazing piece for Inverse Magazine. It's by journalist Sarah Wells, and she cites a longtime Apple engineer named Andy Hertzfeld, who talks about 
another popular cursor right now. It's called an animated collection box. And the nickname for that is marching ants. That's whenever you click and drag to select an area. And then the dashed line around what you've selected is usually moving a little bit. This can be Mm. in media editing software or in augmented reality programs. But that's a form of cursor. Like it's telling you your next input will impact this. That's, That's what cursors do. It would have been cuter if it was like actually a little group of ants that like drag your thing over to the other part of the screen and go like, boy, is this JPEG heavy. (laughs) If this was 1996, you could change your computer lab's computer to do that. Mm -hmm. And your computer teacher would hate you so much. (laughs) You could fill an entire computer with ants in the 90s. I did that all the time. Bees, I often filled computers with bees, unrelated to what we're talking about, but uh, fun surprise. They like structure, you know? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Social insects. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) And then another number here is four, because according to the like official support instructions from Apple, four is how many of your body parts can operate a pointing cursor on the Apple Vision Pro headset. Okay, wait, let me guess. Yeah. Okay. Eyeballs. Hand. Finger, yes. Uh, hips. Oh, nope. Yeah, hips. For sure. Knee. Elbow. Back of the knee. The little. Has anyone said butthole? Butthole? Did anyone say butthole? (laughs) Can I gyrate towards where I want the cursor to go? Right. Like the Shakira edition, right? Like then you can Mm -hmm. navigate the World Wide Web that way. One of them's them's elbow for sure. You can elbow drop a Mm -hmm. cursor and like that lets you know, that lets the computer know you really mean it. Like when you're really trying to click on something, like the computer stalls or it hangs, you give it the old macho man Randy Savage from the top rope. That'll shut down the program. (laughs) Yeah. That's like Alt F4. Yeah. (laughs) I want that I want that Elon Musk brain chip so I can control the cursor with my mind uh, and Mm -hmm. so I can look up symptoms of sepsis with my mind. <laughs> I want it so I can die like a monkey. Katie, Katie, no joke. That's the bonus show is Elon Musk's whole thing. Oh, uh, God. We'll get into okay. it on the bonus. Oh, a pile Yay. of dead monkeys. Okay, so have fun show. now while we can is what you're saying. Have, get all of our fun in now. This is, right. we give, look, look, if you want, you know, regular cool stuff, it's free. If you want to pay a little bit, we bring you the piles of dead monkeys. <laughs> I should say there's also another different story in the bonus, too. So there's also a kind of happier thing. So there's a lot going on. When the Apple Vision Pro, you can operate it with your head, wrist, finger, or eyes. All of these can act as a pointer inside of the headset of this new, very popular AR, VR kind of headset. Cool. Oh, okay. I get it. Yeah. That's how my wife controls me. And you're telling me, hold on, you're telling me, I haven't used it yet, but you're telling me if I do like a full Karate Kid snap kick, that won't do anything. That won't move the cursor at all. It, it, I guess it depends what your head and eyes do in particular. Right? Or wrist or finger. All four, you know, it, dep- it depends on your movements. It's yeah, going to do the something. <laughs> Brockway speaks only in finishing moves. That's what he's saying. <laughs> <laughs> you, you have written my favorite recent thing involving a person doing karate. So I trust it. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> I don't even know which thing you're talking about. Yeah, that could be so many things. <laughs> Imagine how much cardio we could get in if we could like, you had to use certain like moves to send an email. Yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> be a really good fitness device. And God, right. that thing would get so sweaty. <laughs> yeah, let's all learn the combos for I hope this finds you well. <laughs> all thrusting. Eight thrusts. You have to do 10 jumping jacks if you want to say, no worries if not. <laughs> but yeah, so those are the numbers for categorizing cursors. You know, as we just make new software or new hardware, we often come up with a new cursor. Like there's a lot of things in video games where you're just moving a highlighted thing from mm -hmm. square to square, like like selecting a character or selecting a level. There's all sorts of different cursors across human technology. The The next number here is March 2023. Mm. March 2023 is when the English Premier League, which is a soccer league, they held a Twitter sweepstakes giveaway for the prize of an automated mouse mover. <laughs> is wow. it just like, is it just a little guy? Like what? Is it just like a child? Yeah. Oh, it's a monkey. It's a monkey. I get it. it I is. get this. Full <laughs> a monkey's a good prize. <laughs> so they, they made a promo video for this and everything, which depicted a lady in a Manchester City soccer jersey enjoying popcorn with their feet up. While this sort of little platform-shaped device with a little button in the middle, uh, and the button had an English Premier League logo, uh, you put your mouse on top of that, and then the little button-shaped object moves your mouse around from point to point without you doing anything. How do you control it? Like, what would like? How do you tell it where to go? Because otherwise, you it's going to go onto those websites. Robot, <laughs> robot pornography. You're just you're just along for the ride, <laughs> or robot soccer. It likes right. soccer. Um, <laughs> you could combine the two. Yeah, it's always up. Uh, there's a way. I already have. Consider it done. <laughs> <laughs> yeah this this was a promo they did in particular because in the United States, English Premier League games tend to be on during our afternoon, especially weekday afternoons, some of the time. And so it was a lighthearted pitch for the pretty dystopian real thing where a lot of people who work remotely, especially since the COVID pandemic started, are under surveillance from their employers. Mm -hmm. They're using some kind of software to detect their cursor moving or not moving and then decide based on that whether they are working when they say they are working. And so the, the lighthearted pitch was, we'll help you skip work to watch Manchester City play Arsenal. Oh, Okay. They now sent us. Uh, they sent us all snitch monkeys that uh, observe our every move and report back <laughs> to HQ. It's the more elegant solution. Mm -hmm. <laughs> right. Maximum Fun sent us snitch monkeys to make sure we're making the podcast. They don't just yeah. see it come out every week. Speaking of which, when you donate, you provide one <laughs> snitch monkey with a cute little hat and a badge. <laughs> And yeah, and this this has kind of been, especially since the year 2020, the weirdest evolution of what cursors mean for us. They're not just what we're using to do stuff, but the, the software existed before the pandemic and then many companies got into it. It's a way of basically not trusting employees and yeah. using the monitoring of the cursor to say, when you're in your house during the weekday, are you doing work for us or not? You know, you could also be working by thinking or something, but uh, right. no, they want to see your cursor move. Sure. Question about that. Why don't they just use whether you provide work uh -huh. to oh, see if you do work, <laughs> right? Like, so if it's like, mm -hmm. can you write up this thing 
And then it's like, well, the week's over. Did you write up that thing? And you're like, yes. Is that not proof that you did work? (laughs) (laughs) I can change everything. A a job well done feels good, but you know what feels better is tricking monitoring software. I would Mm -hmm. spend all my work day (laughs) figuring out how to trick that stupid cursor sensor. And I would just be so satisfied with my day. Drinking bird with a rubber band. Done it. Free. Remember when they gave us uh, at that unnamed company, when they gave us all um, the like uh, Fitbits to like track our steps? (laughs) As part of our health insurance plan? Part of our health insurance plan. Uh, Um, (laughs) I mean, it's like you can just put it on a Roomba or Mm -hmm. uh, overhead (laughs) fan. Tie it to a cat. Put it, yeah, put it on your dog and toss a sausage. It, it's pretty easy to game that system. <laughs> it looks like you you walked seventeen miles today and you killed eight birds. This is incredible. <laughs> I'm, your your premiums are dropping. Yeah, yeah, and, and it is a way such a way technology can flip. Like pretty much all cursors before this served the user, and then. Thanks to many leaps in networking of technology and interconnectedness of it and software development, they found a way for it to be something that kind of oppresses the user. So Mm -hmm. it's really weird. And there's also a lot of things you can find online of people rigging custom gadgets or even just like putting together stuff in their house, like a baby cradle that rocks so that Mm -hmm. it in a Ferris Bueller way moves their mouse back and forth and and solves that for them. Yeah. Yeah. We cracked this in the 80s. Laser pointer cat. Enough said. Yeah. <laughs> All right. cat-based solutions. That's what we're offering here. Yeah. I've already trained my cat to figure out Excel spreadsheets now just to move <laughs> the mouse. And th- that's already in a cat's wheelhouse. You know what? You get, a, you get a slippery enough cat, you can keep that snitch monkey busy. Right. I mean, they hate cats. If he catches it, it's all over. But... You got to train that cat well. You got to get a real wily one. You can turn the snitch monkey and cat against each other. So they're Natural too enemies. busy mm-hmm. fighting each other to realize that you're truly the one pulling the, st- the, the strings. Yeah, You're the enemy they should be uniting against. Yes. <laughs> Alex, what's this show about? <laughs> you know, we, we have a pretty elegant segue on the topic of running. And Hooray! it brings us into takeaway number one. Planned it all. The name for a computer cursor comes from the era of slide rules and from Latin. I thought it was because like when you have a program and it crashes and you jiggle your cursor around because you're cursing, you know, like you're going mm-hmm. dag nabbit, dag nabbit, PowerPoint, <laughs> dag nabbed PowerPoint. Right. Cussing it out. Yeah, yeah. I like it. Yeah. With Gosh darn it. Butts upon butts. <laughs> Only Elmer Fudd curses allowed (laughs) yeah there there is an interesting analog origin for this name part of it is that cursor is the latin word for a runner or for an errand Mm. boy like someone running around physically Uh, and then that name makes sense if you have used a slide rule before Mm. so my little cursor is like i'm sending the computer running over here as my little errand boy that does rephrase things like i'm a lord like i'm a fancy little lord and i love it (laughs) that feels nice yeah, and the big source here is web resources from the math department of the University of Utah. They have a bunch of wonderful slide rule stuff. And slide rules were a form of analog computing. It was an object that you could use to 
do like the verb compute, like add yeah. up numbers and do mathematics. Computers used to be people who computed things and yeah. uh, like would also actually turn blue when they died, which is an interesting connection. <laughs> <laughs> right. Like someone lost at an Arctic base or windows in the 1990s. Very similar. Right. Uh, right, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> People have used slide rules for a surprisingly long time. There were early versions in the 1600s, but more modern ones and the popularity really got going in the 1800s and well into the 1900s. There are slide rules that astronauts brought on the Apollo missions. Like this, this was a very predominant way of doing math. Man, we were beating up kids for using slide rules back in the 90s. Imagine how hard you were getting beat up for using a slide rule in like the 1600s. God, just bullies. on every day. Those bullies had it the best. Oh, wait, they would just burn them. That's what the original bullying was. <laughs> they, they just folded them into the Catholic-Protestant conflicts. Like, and also, if anybody does this nerd thing, uh, put them in the line. Yeah, sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this 1900 slide rule, it was sort of a long ruler-shaped item with logarithms and numbers written on it. And then it had a sliding piece that you could slide up and down the ruler-shaped body. And it made a whoop, whoop sound. Oh. <laughs> the tin whistle era of mathematics, yes. yeah. Depending uh, on where the... your pants were at the time. <laughs> <laughs> Hold on, I hear a nerd whistle. <laughs> right, a pitchforks and torches, yeah. They're um, close. And so that that sliding element is why the whole thing is called a slide rule. But also they named that piece of it a cursor. It's a little sort of translucent or plastic piece that moves up and down the slide. And because it goes back and forth like that very quickly, it reminded people of a runner on a racetrack or a race course. And so then they selected this Latin word for a runner. So that's where we get it. It's from before an electronic or digital computer. And it was the closest anyone who used a slide ruler got to athletics. <laughs> Dunking on him. Dunking on him today. Got him. Got those nerds. <laughs> I sure got those nerds. Those nerds <laughs> who are not, not I. <laughs> yeah, I... I exclusively understood slide rules as a nerd prop when I was a kid, but they yeah. were everywhere and they're where we get this name. Like like then people building the computer I'm used to applied it later. And then as far as like the regular computer cursors, how did we get each of the two main kinds? Uh, let's start with the one that is for text with takeaway number two. A little known Minnesota engineer patented and might have invented the blinking text cursor. Huh. Like, th this might be one of the least heralded people in the history of technology. And he's going to stay that way. We're not going to say a single <laughs> nice thing about him. <laughs> Moving on. Don't uh, say the name. Don't say the name. Yeah, it's, it's an interesting guy. Uh, and I'm going to say his name. His name is Charles Kiesling. We have solid information that he existed and probably was involved in the early development of this, but he is so unheralded, he's kind of hard to research, too. It's really weird. I love, I love we have solid information that he existed. He, he lived. I swear to God, he lived. I can prove it. We found droppings. <laughs> Heesling droppings found. <laughs> no, you can track you the sent us a, yeah. You sent us a picture of this gentleman, uh, and he had a little sailor hat. 
Yeah. And so uh, I would have placed this man anywhere between 11 and 45 years old. Like, I don't, maybe it's the sailor <laughs> hat. There's something that makes it impossible yeah. to age a person or a duck. You see a duck in a sailor hat. You're like, that's a 80 year old duck, a newborn duck. I can't tell. I swore to God this, this was this Navy uniform was Photoshopped on. I don't know why it doesn't look real. Yeah. He looks like a more handsome Mr. Bean. Yeah, I buy that. He really like hot, does. He looks like a hot Mr. Bean. Yes. Hotter. Hot, like, hotter, let's be fair. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Right. If he was a heroic U.S. Navy sailor, uh, uh, just kind of had it going on. Yeah. He, he's he's a made bilf. no impression on anybody in history. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we, uh, the, I sent you guys that picture of him because it's the only picture we have is from his U.S. Navy service <laughs> in the Korean War. <laughs> The other evidence of his existence are a real United States patent for a blinking text cursor filed in 1967, and then a real newspaper obituary in the Star Tribune newspaper in 2014. That's that's the big newspaper in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Like, unless there was a really elaborate fraud, this guy existed. So nothing Navy cursor death. That's what he. That's what now I got. feel a little bit guilty for calling him a bilf. Is that disrespectful? <laughs> I mean it with all due respect. I felt it. I felt it. I loved it. I yeah. can't imagine him taking offense to that. Right? Right. And then the the other big source for this is that piece for Inverse Magazine by Sarah Wells, also a piece for Hackaday.com by Al Williams. They talk about how until the mid-1960s, late-1960s, if you were using one of those computers where it's just text on a screen... It could be really difficult, especially if you're not experienced with that kind of machine, because it's hard to tell where you last did your input. You have to do a lot of remembering. There's not a cursor to show you. It's really weird. Frustrating. Yeah. Like, I'm so used to that just being a crutch for how I type things, is there's a blinking text cursor where I typed last. I don't have to, like, remember that like I'm playing chess blindfolded or something. I don't want to do that. It was that. more of an adventure, though. You got to give them that. It was thrilling. I just... <laughs> Never knowing what you were going to type. If I get lost on the page, I just, you know, do the whole, the whole keyboard slap, slap down some random, random entries. <laughs> That's my writing process, too. It has been for many years. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. And uh, apparently one acute example of this is that in the early 1960s, people at Oxford tried to use teletype machines to type up the Oxford English Dictionary and these lexicographers who are not used to teletypes or machines like that really struggled to not just bleed the words into the code. Uh, mm. Apparently the screens were really dim. It was hard to read green text on a black field. And so it was a total mess. And th there, are, there are people who were like impacted by the lack of a text cursor in that era. It saved lives. It prevented <laughs> so much destruction in the nerd wars as the lexicographers turned against the computer nerds over this slight. Yeah, those old screens were like unwashed fish tanks full of random letters. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, it's like trying to squint into like that orb that Saruman uses to see other parts of Middle Earth or something. Like it's not cool as a, a way of looking at anything. <laughs> the or tanks. That was the original cursor. You'd wait for the hobbit to put on the ring. Right, and then uh, you see where you <laughs> see what you were typing. You'd make a hobbit run around and hold up a triangle to show you where you were typing. <laughs> <laughs> mm. 
And so then Charles Kiesling, he filed a 1967 U.S. patent. The title is Blinking Cursor for Cathode Ray Tube Display. Mm. And this was also something he did for his company. He didn't own it personally. He was working for the Sperry Rand Corporation, which is a tech company that eventually became Unisys. It has basically not been reported on or talked about until a couple of years ago. He just kind of lived his life, worked at the company, didn't really make money from this. And it's it's not totally for certain he even invented it. Like he might have known somebody else who came up with it and been the first to patent it. But given that he didn't make any money or seek any glory, he probably just quietly came up with it and filed a patent and moved on. You're saying there could have been an even hotter Mr. Bean who invented this? it sounds like he's only had a legacy for what seven minutes now you're like here's this guy no one knows about him in fact he might not have done it boom we're starting to think he probably didn't even do it you know what screw this guy (laughs) his hotness is just too unbelievable you know yeah who who can trust it right he'll always have that hotness if he wanted to be remembered by history he should have jumped ship done that corporate espionage and fled with like all of his careful research papers, like a Bond movie, but all about the cursor. It's a blinking vertical line, damn you! It's gonna change we, everything! <laughs> we can't let the Russians get hold of it. No, he could He could get a lot of money for taking that information to Russia, where it's like, the cursor goes on, and then the cursor goes off. Da, da, makes sense now. Bond <laughs> comes in with just gas. Capitalists, with your blinking... <laughs> Puts him on a rocket bobsled back over the border. See, that's how you do it, nerd. This is why history doesn't remember you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the, one of the other fragments of information we have about Charles Kiesling is a comment on a page on Stack Exchange, which is a discussion website for tech stuff. And it's someone claiming to be his son. It just probably is his son, because why would you bother <laughs> to lie? <laughs> Uh, You're not even worth pretending that you're somebody's dad. uh, And his apparent son shared this story, quote, I remember him telling me the reason behind the blinking cursor. He said there was nothing on the screen to let you know where the cursor was in the first place. So he wrote up the code for it so he would know where he was ready to type on the cathode ray tube, end quote. God, that guy's got away with words. That's his kid. That's his kid. Yeah, it's got the same panache, (laughs) which is to say doesn't. Yeah. And then like, according to his obit, he he lived most of his life in the Twin Cities area of Minnesota, veteran of the Korean War, active in his VFW hall. Like he was just a guy and partly because it was work for hire, didn't at all try to hold on to this idea. We have a bunch of examples of early computers or compute or workstations that had a blinking cursor by the early 1970s. Because this was just a really good idea and pretty simple to code, even for the technology of that time. So he was just some guy who had a normal, happy life without getting famous and, you know, going to a bunch of parties and doing drugs. What a sad story. (laughs) Miserable. If if he was alive today, uh, he would probably have the patent worked out so that every time it blinked, he would get... Seven cents, ching, and then ching, ching. Yeah. <laughs> it'd make that noise. It sounds like a curse. It sounds like it quickly turns into a curse where you're just drowning under money. <laughs> <It's just> pennies <laughs> filling your life. Help! 
I like how you think that with a patent, money just kind of falls out yeah. of the sky. You stand, you yeah. stand at the bottom of the Scrooge vault, and it falls down on you. Right. You can't get out of the way fast enough. <laughs> I love that story. It's it seems to be a guy who just gave everybody this good idea with no friction, no royalties, hangups, and I have used his idea most of the days of my life, and so have yeah. probably most people listening to this. It's cool. And he did it with a smile. I don't know that, but I'm saying that. I'm looking at his picture. He didn't. <laughs> the very with a serious, pensive expression. <laughs> and that's two takeaways and our numbers. We have two more whole takeaways about more cursors, especially for mousing, and we'll hit them after a short break. See you right after. Folks, I want you to know something. This podcast exists for two reasons. One is the support of donors. It is the only way we can make a show like this where there is actual research, actual editing, actual care. It just has to have the support of donors. The direct contributions and help and care that we receive from a very small group of people, it is astonishing how few people are holding up this show on their back like Atlas holding up the world. You make the podcast exist. And if any of you out there are not members of Maximum Fun, please consider going to MaximumFun.org slash join. Please consider being one of the people who makes this show exist. If enough of you do that, we can see what else we can do, how much we can grow at how much more of a thing this can be. Uh, the other thing that makes this show happen is food. I hope you're familiar with food. It's great to have because it uh, sustains my body. And uh, mitosis, I think, is one of the processes. And a wonderful company called Wild Grain supports this show both of the ways. Because we've partnered with them for this advertisement, they are a company I'm actually earnestly thrilled about. So why not stretch out your donor dollars and make that support go a little farther with sponsor support? And then Wild Grain also supports the show by filling me with the best foods ever. Because Wild Grain, they are the first ever Bake From Frozen subscription box for sourdough breads, fresh pastas, and artisanal pastries. I am particularly excited about the croissants that they threw into my box because they do that for free with every box, which is uh, bonkers. It's the best thing any company does for anyone. Yes, you are saying. Alex is right. That's the best thing any company has ever done for anyone in history. Wild Grain's fantastic because all of their items, all of their sourdough breads, fresh pastas, artisanal pastries, they bake from frozen in 25 minutes or less. There's no thawing required. You can also customize your box to have just breads, just pastas, just pastries, or to have two of those, or to have all three, which is the way I do it. It's an absolute joy to have the most wonderful baked foods in the world show up to your door, ready to be frozen until you want them and then baked rapidly and freshly when you do want them, right? Like, that's the perfect situation for something like that. I, I want to go have another croissant, so I'm going to wrap this up. For a limited time, you can get $30 off the first box, plus free croissants in every box. That is the thing going on. I will keep reiterating it when you go to wildgrain.com slash SithPod to start your subscription. You heard me. Free croissants in every box and $30 off your first box. When you go to wildgrain.com slash SIFPOD, that is wildgrain.com slash SIFPOD, or you can use promo code SIFPOD at checkout. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. <laughs> Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. 
We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing. And wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! It's hard to explain what happens on Jordan Jesse Go. So, I had my kids do it. Saying swear words. Saying swear words. Yeah, um, bad jokes. Bad jokes? Bad jokes. Maybe it's like you tell people that you're going to interview them, and then you just stay there like, like really quiet. And try and creep them out. <laughs> it's just really boring. Because of Jordan, right? Not me. Because of both of you. Oh. Subscribe to Jordan Jesse Go, a comedy show for grown-ups. And we are back with takeaway number three about cursors. The first mouse cursor was called a bug and was just one piece of the most famous tech demo of all time. Was it a was it a real bug? Did they mean it like it's a mistake? Like, oh, I don't know what's happening here. Yeah, was it a mistake <laughs> or like a little beetle that they dragged around? It's really weird. They they called it a bug even though the computer error meaning of bug already existed and was already being passed around. Hmm. But because of the like physical look of it and how it moves, an engineer named Douglas Engelbart called it a bug when he did the most famous demo in tech history in December 1968. That's how you, that's how you build a legacy, Charles Kiesling. You mm-hmm. see that? You do an Engelbart. <laughs> he should have called it an Engelbart. He probably tried, and they're like, dude, stop, <laughs> well, stop bugging me. Wait a second. Bugging me? <laughs> now drag your Engelbart over to drive. <laughs> Shout out to my fellow, like, Central European last name people. What a what a field of names. They sound so funny in so many contexts. Engelbarding, great, love it. I like them. I like them. I like the way they they come out of my mouth. It's a good name. Yeah. And yeah, and the the main source here. It's a book. It's called 1968. Today's authors explore a year of rebellion, revolution, and change. It's edited by Susan Campbell Bartoletti and Mark Aronson, and then the piece we're citing is written by Mark Aronson. This is a story where there is one demo on December 8th, 1968, where an engineer named Douglas Engelbart and a couple of colleagues basically templated all of computing into today. Like they they demonstrated and did a prototype of everything. Eh. And it's really neat. It's really cool. Uh, yeah, whatever. You just made mm. all of computing. Yeah, it's fine. <laughs> just wrote it up. I had- it needs Great something. Job. It needs something. If this was Halt and Catch Fire, like somebody's daughter would get plowed and somebody would fall out a window. Like, it needs, <laughs> I don't know, spice it up. The demo was like overly calm. This guy, Engelbert, his vision was the following. I would have pooped my pants. If someone was like, <laughs> if I had never seen a computer and someone was like, here's a computer, I would lose it. I'd be foaming at the mouth. I'd be calling him a demon. Be trying to exercise him, him, yeah. Let's bully this nerd by hurting. 
It was probably the size of a bus with like paper punch cards. I bet like we're picturing a computer, <laughs> but this was probably like a giant warring machine that it makes it so much more intimidating. I would <laughs> double burn him for that. You you brought an angry sentient locomotive into my into my life. You're gonna pay. <laughs> So there were already there were already computers at this point, but they were sort of like laying the groundwork for like personal computers or what what was sort of the innovation happening here? Yeah, great question. Like here's here's a brief summary of what they demonstrated in one 90 minute demo. And this is Mark Aronson describing it. Quote, Engelbart had shown the mouse, linked files, file sharing, split screen messaging and the internet end quote how did they uh, invented uh, all of that now how, <laughs> hang on how did they know about the internet yeah they they did some like local networking of computers but also also part of the demonstration was basically google maps like it was a thing of asking a database questions about your route between your office and home for like dry cleaning and other just things you want to do on the way and then maybe the most mind-blowing part was the mouse and the cursor, because mm-hmm. uh, this was the first demonstration of a computer mouse. Douglas Engelbart and a colleague had patented the mouse one year before. They came up with it. Did they call it a mouse because it looks kind of like a mouse? Mm-hmm. So interestingly, Engelbart didn't like that name. During the demo, he told people, quote, I don't know why we call it a mouse. Could we <laughs> but... call it an Engelbart instead? Yeah, let's call it an angle part. Its name will not stick on anything. Well, listen, this part's the angle, and then on the screen is the Bart. You use the angle to move the Bart. Right. Now, every time someone uses a computer, they'll have to touch angle Bart. <laughs> finally. 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 It's all finally. coming up, angle Bart. You gotta feel up angle Bart if you want to open your files. <laughs> their, their patent for a mouse called it the following name. An XY position indicator for a display system. Catchy. That rocks. Now yeah. simply use that your rocks. XY indicator for your display system. Shut up, Engelbart. It's almost too fun. Yeah. And so uh, like other people on his team called it a mouse and that stuck and no one's topped that. Go invent the internet, nerd. <laughs> and then this this demo, they had what their computer was doing on a big screen and apparently the most mind-blowing part was seeing Engelbart sit at a computer and use this mouse because no one had ever seen a computer do more than just receive numbers and typing of some characters. Like It looked like the computer was in harmony with his mind because they saw the cursor on the screen moving around all sorts of places as he chose. Technomancer. Engelbart, you bit wizard. <laughs> yeah, like it, it seemed like... A leap a hundred years into the future. Like, how did he do this? You need a chill guy like that to present technology like that. Because if that was me, I want, as soon as somebody was like, it's like you're linked to the computer with your mind, I would have turned and said, I am. And just, <laughs> right. Yeah, I would have planted someone in the crowd and had their head explode. <laughs> right. This is your chance. This is your chance to become a god. <laughs> the reason Engelbart wanted to call a cursor a bug is that with the graphics of the time, and especially in this big screen projection, the cursor just looked like a little black smudge. Like, it didn't look like an arrow yet. That was kind of too advanced to do. Mm. And because of the look, and also because of how it moved, you know, erratically and all over, it reminded them of, like, a fly 
So they called it a bug, even though the word bug was already a tech word for something going wrong. Why not just call it a fly, man? This is our new invention, the mistake. <laughs> right. <laughs> we regret it, and we, we, we are sorry. We take it back. <laughs> yeah, and, then, and because of, like, slide rule culture and because of the almost simultaneous development of a text cursor, because this demo is 1968, Kiesling's text cursor patent is 1967, like, then, then the name cursor kind of bleeds over to this mouse cursor. It also gets called a pointer because of an arrow or a hand shape it gets drawn as and because of what it does. But uh, but that's where we get the name applied to it later. I love the phrase slide rule culture. Yeah. As <laughs> though <laughs> so they're all they're all sipping port at a fancy party with a slide rule in one hand. I say. <laughs> I don't believe you've ever slide ruled in your life. <laughs> fa, 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 fa. and he slaps him in the face with a slide rule like it's mm -hmm. a glove <laughs> your challenge is accepted slides at dawn name five slide rulers <laughs> yeah and and yeah and then this demo was so advanced they they had kind of too many discoveries to share because basically a couple minutes after revealing the mouse and cursor to the world Engelbart's editing a doc with it and then a second person at a second computer uses a second mouse to edit the same doc at the same time. It's essentially Google Docs in 1968. That, that's... But then there's two cursors on the screen, which really freaked people out. It seems also in terms of them like talking about the Internet and stuff, which I assume they don't they didn't call it the Internet yet. But like, no, uh, no. these were these were sort of like speculative things of like, hey, this is where the stuff is going. Right. Like they didn't actually. Or did they like demonstrate some ability to do some kind of internet? Because that that's just like a local connection between two computers. Yeah, it's it's kind of both. It was a lot of things that they said. This is where this is theories. This is where it should go. And then also Engelbart's team was trying to make computers for everyday people to use. And they could have accepted that Engelbart was really really stubborn about where he thought technology should go. And he thought it should be for kind of super users and people who almost see it as like an art or a craft getting good at using a computer. Technomancers, uh, just say it. Just say it, Engelbert. Engelberts, yeah. <laughs> uh, and most of his colleagues disagreed and quit and went over to work at companies like Xerox. And then a few years later, 1973, Xerox builds the first early personal computer, uh, which has a mouse and a pointing cursor. And, and that sets the stage for this being tech we all use. Got dunked on because you were too elitist about your computer invention. Beautiful work. Good oh, job. you're into computers, right? <laughs> Name five computers. Like, more so, he, he said that his ideal user was something he called an intelligence worker. And at one point, he told his team he wanted computer users to learn a set of 50,000 different commands. Like it's some art form that they're all trying to master, <laughs> like the violin or something. It's like a um, classic Engelbert move right there. Just gatekeeping yeah. computers. <laughs> Here's a fun fact. My dad actually worked uh, in, at Xerox in 1973. And so he, really? uh, yeah. Oh, so as a child, I had Whoa. some early prototype uh, like Windows interfaces, like the, some of cool. the first uh, first mouse, you know, operating systems. 
uh, I think that site, I think they started Sidereal. My dad went off and worked at Sidereal, which, uh, anyway, it did not go cool. very well. Uh, Apple and IBM took over the entire market and that company collapsed. But Sean, that's amazing. Before it was cool, I had a Windows operating system, but it was called something, something much different. And that's why we call emptying the recycling bin Sean Baby. That's right. <laughs> they wanted to call it Engelbert. That's amazing about Xerox, because, yeah, I, I think people don't know that Xerox did a lot of computer pioneering, partly because they felt like that was where it was going, and maybe photocopying is not the center of all commerce in the future. Uh, and they were right, but uh, like you said, other companies like Apple and IBM took it over. Apparently in 1979, Xerox held a computing demo attended by Steve Jobs and most of his employees, and then they... Uh, like took notes and did some of that stuff themselves. Now, like, break out the crowbars, boys. It's time to bust some kneecaps. This is how human progress works in general, but it's great to just track the escalating ladder of nerds who stole glory from each other right. over and over. Yeah, because then Microsoft kind of did it to Apple, and, and that process is a big reason why we have the mouses and cursors we have today is that just everybody understood how good of an idea Douglas Engelbart had mm -hmm. and ran with it. <laughs> I genuinely sort of miss the DOS era. I don't know if you guys are old enough to remember DOS, but before Windows, you had a like, you just a black screen and you had to type around. That's how you traveled around your hard drive and did stuff. And Easy it was such eyes. a barrier of entry. Yeah. And it was, it ran faster. Uh, now it doesn't matter because of our power, but like, uh, it was nice. I, it, you, you had to be so elite just to start it up and like do a thing. And it was, it was a nice. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I feel like if we kept it that way, we could have saved a lot of like soft brained uncles from like reading things that the internet has. You know, we could have kept a lot of knowledge out of the hands of, of less media literate. Uh, colloidal. There'd be less of a market for colloidal silver is what you're saying. That. Yeah, Absolutely. There is that tension of like how user-friendly or not do we make stuff. And then even some of these key people will have really specific opinions. Like apparently Steve Jobs had a super specific opinion about cursors. He believed that both the text cursor and the mouse cursor are good, but you should only control it with a mouse and like click around your text cursor that way. And you should not use arrow keys, aka the cursor keys, to move that text cursor around. He thought that was bad and, and not the optimal way. Setting a bad example for people. The devil's, the devil's keys. There's a, a kind of legendary story about him where the writer Walter Isaacson was interviewing Jobs a bunch to write a book about him that became a big hit. And at one of the interviews, Jobs interrupted Isaacson took out his car keys and pried the arrow keys off of Isaacson's keyboard. Cause he was like, I don't like these. These are not good. <laughs> and, and just removed them from the guy's keyboard without permission. <laughs> Man, I would have. Engelbert move. I built him. I can take him back. <laughs> <laughs> I would have elbow dropped that guy. Mess with yeah. my cursor keys. And, and with cursors, we have one more takeaway for the main show about I think an even more unique tech person. Takeaway number four. One astounding designer named Susan Kerr created the Mac computer's hand-shaped cursor as part of a vision of technological friendliness and humanity. That's beautiful. Mm. Well, she tried. <laughs> yeah, that's a pretty dramatic way to describe a little hand. I drew a little hand for humanity. 
<laughs> I mean, but can you like if we kept the little hand, right? Like, do you think yeah. we may have developed a greater sense of humanity and not like screamed at people on Twitter so much? Well, and I, I still, I have a, a MacBook Pro and I still have the hand cursor in some situations. Like it changes what? to that sometimes when I float over something that I can either select oh or Oh my drag. God, it does. Yeah. So it's still with us. It's, but it's like a little, it's a little Mickey Mouse hand. It's like a little gloved hand. Which is so it's cute. Like, yeah. Looks like, looks uh-huh. like you're trying to open a JPEG. <laughs> <laughs> it's, remember, it's your errand boy. You're, you're a fancy little Lord and it is your errand boy. Yeah, I send him in his steamboat to go get me things. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> let me just, let me just uh, download that document for you. <laughs> it would take a lot longer, but I would love it if it was just a full animated journey of like a little butler that you sent across. As you dragged it across the screen, he hops in a steamboat, hops in a train, yeah. gets abused by like a green grocer, saves an orphan from drowning. Yeah, the, the key sources here are the Smithsonian Lemelsa Center for the Study of Invention and Innovation, also a piece by Kurt Kolstad for the website of 99% Invisible, which is an amazing show. They talk about Susan Kerr, who is a legend in design and I think totally unknown to the rest of the world. Hmm. Um, she's celebrated as, quote, the woman who gave the Macintosh a smile uh, because of her choices with especially graphic design and icon design, such as cursors. I remember that little guy. I remember that little Macintosh computers little guy. Yeah, she drew that. Yeah, like specifically. The little guy. I like that little guy. She really brought a lot of important and different ideas to all of tech, starting with Apple, partly because she never really set out to work in tech. She was a fine artist and she was in the Bay Area in the 1980s working as a sculptor. Hmm. Yeah, she she looks like she can party. You sent me that picture of her. It's the only computer person I've seen that I'm like, all right, yeah. she can party. Mm-hmm. Right. She's so cool. Uh, yeah, we'll, we'll have pictures. She's very much not an Engelbert. Yeah, that's not an Engelbert. <laughs> yeah, and she also, just by being cool, had friends. And she had gone to high school with Apple engineer Andy Hertzfeld, one of the early employees. And in 1982, when Apple was working on the Macintosh computer that would come out in 84, Hertzfeld contacted Susan Kerr and said, we're looking for somebody for like a short-term graphic design job. Would you be interested? And she was interested and also had not done any of that in particular fonts. And she went to the Palo Alto, California Public Library, read as much as she could about typography because that was the first thing they wanted was some fonts. And she also talked to Hertzfeld about pixel art, which she had not done. And he suggested you should just go out and get a notebook of graph paper with whatever the smallest like gauge of graph lines is. And then you can test ideas in that, just filling in the squares. And in a later interview, she said, quote, I didn't have any computer experience, but I had experience in graphic design. Bitmap graphics are like mosaics and needlepoint and other pseudo digital art forms, all of which I had practiced before going to Apple. Okay, so she was qualified. Yeah. And so she was like weirdly perfect for inventing this job, even though no one did it. Yeah. You know, what's interesting is I like I visited Pompeii and they had these mosaics where if you stand far enough away, they actually kind of look like paintings because these were highly detailed with tiny little like, you know, mosaic pixels. And then you go up close and it's it's like a mosaic. And it's like, yeah, we kind of like invented pixel art in Pompeii and then everyone blew up. So. 
I don't know where I'm going with this. I'm just saying maybe <laughs> maybe we're all going to die in a volcano if we get too yeah. good at computer art. God hates pixel art. Yep. Yeah, it's the Tower of Babel. We got too close to the language of heaven, which is pixel art, which is which is anti graphics. Right. The the painter George Seurat doing pointillism immediately thrust into a volcano. That's how he died. That was it. Notoriously, <laughs> notoriously exploded in the middle of the street. Yeah. French volcano. We've listened to that episode of your show. A French volcano sounds like a sex thing. Sorry, it does. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it does a number on your Engelbert. I'll tell you that. Uh, so, <laughs> yeah, so, so Susan Kerr, she spent $2 and 50 cents on a basic graph paper notebook and she used it to sketch so many exciting prototypes of common icons that we use today that the museum of modern art has acquired that notebook since then. Like it's, it's That's a cool. historic item in the history of designing how we use computers and icons. How much, how much, uh. Much did your college education cost you guys? Because I spent two fifty, just dunked <laughs> on them, just right over their heads, backflips. <laughs> a little icon of her doing a tomahawk dunk over Steve Jobs, I guess. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Check out this thing I drew. It's this one's you. <laughs> yeah, and so she she did the sort of short term gig. Immediately gets hired to be a key full time Apple employee. She designed entire font libraries. She improved all the existing icons. They even just put her in photos and ads for Mac products because she's really cool. Uh, had the right vibe. <laughs> she's super cool. That was the right move. She's the one who came up with the looping command symbol on Mac keyboards. It's based on a Scandinavian cross that's used on road signs for points of interest in Scandinavian countries. And then maybe her biggest impact is just humanizing this Mac computer. She did that icon of a smiling Mac. And along with that Mickey Mouse-ish glove hand that your cursor sometimes turns into, that made Macs feel friendly. It became a lot of the brand of the whole thing and also convinced a lot of people to like try having a computer. Not everybody had a computer yet in the 1980s, but that, that helped bring people in. On the other hand, Clippy will pop in and call me a sex criminal still. Six times a day. <laughs> Very unpleasant. It looks like you're trying to be a douchebag. Do you want help with that? <laughs> yeah, Clippy, that would be great, Clippy. Oh, wait, you don't need help. Ha ha, ha ha. Uh, uh. Close. I do like the idea that there's like some old timers who are like, intimidated by computers and then but you know then you try to give them a pc and like, i don't know about this soul this little square robot now is that a human hand is that a little <laughs> is that a little glove mickey mouse hand now i, I think yeah. i'm warming up to this here robotic <laughs> overlord yeah and she she just went on to seed that perspective across all of tech later in the 80s apple kicked steve jobs out he starts a company called Next, and they hire Susan Kerr as their creative director. Then she went into business for herself and worked for Microsoft, IBM, Oracle, and Facebook, to name a few. She took a full-time job in the 2010s at Pinterest. And so between all these different direct and indirect influences, she's why like anything in tech looks friendly or cute. She's kind of why we have emojis, even though Japanese cell phone companies did a lot of the groundwork. It's it's a lot of why the things we look at, like cursors, look the way they do. Is this one person? Diablo gauntlets. 
she's the reason we don't get Diablo gauntlets. <laughs> yeah. The cursor could have been like an angry little face. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Just a butt. It's the best way Just to do a it. Butt. A butt with a poop coming out of it. Imagine if that had happened. I get, yeah, I guess the three schools are just a tilted arrow. And it turns out it's partly tilted because that was more straight lines. It was easier for early pixel graphics. But anyway, the, the three schools are regular arrow, cute Susan Care, and then the entire combined video game designer guy world where it's it's crazy military arrows. That's it. <laughs> right. And a tiny butt. And of course the butt. Yeah, tiny butt pooping as we have established. That's the future. That's the main episode for this week. And I want to say an extra thank you to buddies that we're so happy to have on the show again. Robert Brockway and Sean Baby. They're longtime friends, collaborators of both me and Katie. And then they make a truly amazing written comedy website. It's called 1900 Hot Dog. It is basically the only remaining site where you can read an article that is funny. Also, if you're looking for like writing from me, I write a column for 1900 Hot Dog once per month. Uh, so that's on their website once per month. And if you check it out, I hope you enjoy it. You know what else is a joy? The outro with fun features for you, such as help remembering this episode with a run back through the big takeaways. Takeaway number one, the name for a computer cursor comes from the era of slide rules and from Latin. Takeaway number two, a little-known Minnesota engineer named Charles Kiesling patented and might have invented the blinking text cursor. Takeaway number three, the first mouse cursor was called a bug and was just one piece of the most famous tech demo of all time. And takeaway number four, designer Susan Kerr created the Mac computer's hand-shaped cursor as part of her vision of technological friendliness and humanity. We had some numbers in there, too, about the latest Apple Vision Pro, about augmented reality cursors, about the English Premier League trying to help people skip work as a joke, and more. Those are the takeaways. Also, I said that's the main episode because there is more secretly incredibly fascinating stuff available to you right now. If you support this show at MaximumFun.org. Members are the reason this podcast exists, so members get a bonus show every week where we explore one obviously incredibly fascinating story related to the main episode. We foreshadowed this bonus, but it is two stories. It's the alleged Neuralink operation of a cursor, and then a more joyful story about the first literal computer bug. Visit sifpod.fun for that bonus show, for a library of more than 15 dozen other secretly incredibly fascinating bonus shows, and a catalog of all sorts of Max Fun bonus shows. It's special audio. It's just for members. Thank you to everybody who backs this podcast operation. Additional fun things, check out our research sources on this episode's page at MaximumFun.org. Key sources this week include an amazing piece for Inverse Magazine by journalist Sarah Wells, a book called 1968, Today's Authors Explore a Year of Rebellion, Revolution, and Change, edited by Susan Campbell Bartoletti and by Mark Aronson, also looked at patent records, looked at the obituary for Charles Kiesling, Smithsonian resources about Susan Kerr, 99% invisible website resources about her too. Also lots of different Smithsonian museum records about mice and the other early technological hardware. That page also features resources such as native-land.ca. 
I'm using those to acknowledge that I recorded this in Lenape Hoking, the traditional land of the Muncie Lenape people and the Wappinger people, as well as the Mohican people, Scattagoke people, and others. Katie taped this in the country of Italy. Robert taped this on the traditional land of the Podunk and Wangunk people. Sean taped this on the traditional land of the Patwin, Muwekma, and Karkin people. And I want to acknowledge that in my location, Robert's location, Sean's location, and many other locations in the Americas and elsewhere, Native people are very much still here. That feels worth doing on each episode, and join the free SIF Discord, where we're sharing stories and resources about Native people and life. There is a link in this episode's description to join that Discord. We're also talking about this episode on the Discord, and hey, would you like a tip on another episode? Because each week I'm finding is something randomly incredibly fascinating by running all the past episode numbers through a random number generator. This week's pick is a numerical topic. Episode 160 is about the topic of WD-40. Fun fact, the recipe of WD-40 is the most closely guarded secret in San Diego, California. So I recommend that episode and its mysteries. I also recommend my co-host Katie Golden's weekly podcast, Creature Feature, about animals and science and more. Our theme music is Unbroken Unshaven by the Budos Band. Our show logo is by artist Burton Durand. Special thanks to Chris Souza for audio mastering on this episode. Extra, extra special thanks go to our members, and thank you to all our listeners. I am thrilled to say we will be back next week with more secretly incredibly fascinating. So how about that? Talk to you then. Maximum Fun, a worker-owned network of artist-owned shows supported directly by you.